So we're really excited about the alum of the program and the students we're able to attract because of the hard work of our alum and pursuing excellence. That creates a nice culture. When students step on campus here, they're expecting something special and they're getting it and in return, they're turning into very special people as well. We have such a great opportunity to be working in industry in the leisure world where people come to the course with a smile on their face and hopefully they leave with a smile on their face and we're part of that experience. We're not on an operating table and figuring out life or death. We're not in a courtroom. We're in an environment where people want to have fun and where people want to be around other people and enjoy the healthy aspects the game brings and the healthy socialization the game can bring. And I think that's the attitude that we need to focus on moving forward. It's less of the technical stuff, it's less of the hard stuff, and it's more of the soft stuff. And I think, again, that's where the hospitality management focus really applies in our industry. Welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast, where we speak with the influencers, disruptors, entrepreneurs, and innovators who are shaping the future of golf. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. If you're new to the Mod Golf Podcast, thank you for joining us. And remember to hit the subscribe button on either iTunes or on our show page at www.mod.golf so that you'll never miss the latest episode and engaging stories with my guests. I'm your host, Colin Weston, and today my guest is Dr. Christopher Kane, who is the director of the PGA Golf Management University program at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Dr. Kane is a golf educator, speaker, writer, and community builder who has been recognized nationally and locally by the PGA of America for his educational impact and for his work as a golf professional. He has been a member of the PGA of America since 1998, and at UNLV, he prepares students for careers in the golf industry, covering various aspects related to the game, including technical skills, working with people, and business practices within the golf and hospitality management industries. I had the pleasure of introducing Dr. Kane at the PGA of British Columbia Educational Seminar, where he spoke about the future of the golf industry and the need to constantly innovate. After hearing his engaging talk, I said to myself, hmm, I think I better run over and have a chat because Dr. Kane would be a perfect guest for the Mod Golf Podcast. So six weeks later, here we are. So Dr. Kane, thank you so much for joining me today on the Mod Golf Podcast. Oh, it's a pleasure to be on your show, Colin. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. So first question, Dr. Kane, Chris, Christopher, what should we go by here for the show? I think Chris is perfect. Okay, we'll keep it casual then, Chris. All right. So, Chris, I'd like to start things off here by you telling our listeners about your initial introduction to the game of golf and your connection to the game and a brief history of yourself. Well, sure. Like many of us that play the game, we started probably when we were a little bit younger. I grew up in a golfing family. So my dad played and my grandfather played and it was just part of the fabric of our family culture. So, you know, I was a kid that got dropped off at the golf course, stayed there until dawn, till dusk, and worked on picking up golf balls at the range and not being on the clock, just working for golf and working for a few lessons. And, and it was part of my life. My dad is a still is a great golfer, and I learned a lot from the game from him. And a lot of the assistant professionals and golf professionals at the clubs I grew up at who gave so willingly their time to help support a junior when they had other things to do, I'm sure, but they took the time to mentor me and, and really shape me into the man that I am today through the game of golf, which I think is a very important part of what the game does. Yeah, I just I played a lot of golf when I was a kid, played a lot of sports, was just in a great supportive family and went to Penn State University, and I was going to be an architect, going to be that George Costanza. I love building buildings and stuff. But the golf professional at the time at the club that I played a lot of golf at, Greg Wall, his father actually, Art Wall, won the 59 Masters. And 
he pulled me aside and said, Chris, you know, I've watched you develop as a junior and Penn State University has this PGA golf management program they just started. And he goes, maybe you should consider getting into the career. And I didn't even think of it until the summer before classes start. And I went to Penn State and had a great time there, ended up spending 11 years there. Got my membership, traveled around a little bit through some great internships. I worked for Marriott and the PGA Tour and Canuber Country Club, and Pocono Farms, and was their golf professional at Penn State for a number of years and their teaching professional. And then left for a little bit, came back and decided I wanted to get my master's degree there and get into education. Did that, and then an opportunity at UNLV opened up to take the directorship of the PGA Golf Management Program they were starting here. And I had so much fun in the industry. I had so much fun in education. I said, wouldn't it be great to be working in an environment where the two could be together, where I could use my experience in the industry and make some sort of educational impact on the youth? Because I was very fortunate to be part of a lot of selfless acts and mentorship that was in my favor. So it was time to give back a little bit. And I've been doing this now for 14 years. I had no idea moving to Las Vegas would be a long-term thing for me. I'm from New Jersey, Northeast guy, used to the change of seasons and came out here. And I said, I will give it a few years. And I was able to grow roots in the desert, which is hard to do. So I've been here for 14 years, having a great time. I'm the director of the program, also an associate professor in residence. So I have research and teaching and service expectations on top of my administrative responsibilities to run this great program. And we've had a really good run here, and we're just starting to enter a new chapter in UNLV golf management history, if you want to call it, and opening the, uh, the Center for Golf Management here at UNLV, which we're very excited about. And we're very excited about the naming of the center as well, which is not official yet, but we're going to be recognizing a, a great coach at UNLV, Dwayne Knight, who has, in his own right, helped UNLV to three national championships and 29 PGA Tour victories through the alumni that he's produced. UNLV Golf, UNLV Golf Management is a very strong brand. We have a very supportive community here, and it's only going to get better once we launch our center here in a couple of months. And the activities we're going to do to help grow the game, serve our community, and be the intellectual hub for golf management education into the future. That's a great start to get us off the ground here, Chris. When you did present here in Vancouver, you did show us images of the new center. It is under construction right now. It will be open when exactly? We hope to have a soft opening during the summer. We are fortunate to be able to host all of the PGA Golf Management Universities here at the end of May. And they're going to come in for a meeting that we do each year, and it rotates around all the great university programs. And we're just lucky enough to have it during a time in which we're going to be launching our center. So we hope that by the end of May, we'll have all the pieces in place. We'll do a little soft opening in the summer, and then we'll do a full launch when the semester starts at the end of August. Got it. And seeing the renderings of the center, obviously, business is good for UNLV and the PGA Golf Management University program. You're expanding. There is growth there. And on that, could we dig down a little bit more so our listeners can understand here yourself, as I consider as an influencer in the golf industry, the fact you are influencing and impacting the lives of these young professionals to be as your students. Can you tell us with the program really what you're focusing on there? I know there's a hospitality overlay, but could you articulate that as far as what you're preparing the students for in the $70 billion a year golf industry? Yeah, you know, that's a that's a really deep question. We are fortunate to be part of a leading hospitality management program. In fact, 
the last two years, we were recognized by the Hospitality and Leisure Agency as the number one hospitality management program for the last two years in the world. And we, we recognize there are a lot of great programs around the world in hospitality management. We're just really humbled and fortunate to be towards the top of that list. And our students that are studying golf management have this wonderful opportunity to learn the broader application of hospitality management and as it specifically applies to golf management. And we have this gold standard of the PGA of America that accredits our concentration to provide students with a gold standard in golf management education. So students that are leaving this program have career mobility. The shift that we're seeing in the industry is pretty obvious. Golf is strong around the world. It's a little bit overbought here in in North America. We're still going through a, a correction, so to speak. There's a lot of inventory out there. The facilities that are surviving and doing well are embracing the spirit of overall hospitality management and taking advantage of all the revenue streams that golf can support. And the students that are coming out of this program understand events. You know, they understand food and beverage. They understand the relationship with hotels. They even understand the gaming piece if they choose to take a few classes in gaming management. And if you see some of the growth indicators, and as far as the presentation we did in British Columbia, the growth in golf is being tied to resorts. The golf courses that are not being tied to resorts or hospitality are are not surviving. That's an indicator that there's a bigger picture here in play. And we're excited that we have this platform here in Las Vegas with hospitality management, with this wonderful laboratory that we have in our backyard for students to be exposed not only to golf, but all the things that happen around Las Vegas and hospitality. That when they come out of this program, they're ready. They're ready for diversity. They're ready to be different, and they're ready to be daring. And that's the mantra to be a rebel here at UNLV. Quite frankly, I think that's what the industry is going through right now. It's going through quite a bit of a, of a renaissance period. It's trying to find itself again. And millennials have a, have a large impact on this shift, and we're excited to be part of it. I have to say myself and the Mod Golf podcast are very excited to be part of it too because we had a brief chat back in Vancouver. We did touch on even five years ago when we first got into the golf industry, which before that, by the way, I was an architect. I can still practice as one, but that's what I did for the first 20 years of my career. So there, I saved you that. I'm in the golf industry now. So there, I saved you the 20 years. So I've actually lived that also. And here I am, I've gone full circle and I've arrived here. So you can live vicariously through me as an architect if that helps you at all. But with that, looking at five years ago, when I was making the transition from architect to getting in the golf innovation industry, things were not so great that a lot of people were asking questions, but nobody really had any answers. And you touched on this during your talk, and we like to showcase these stories on a weekly basis. Also, it's not just one silver bullet that's going to save or reimagine the golf industry. It is a combination of tech-enabled. It is immersive experiences and entertainment. It is community building from a local, regional, and national level that we're seeing on many fronts here. And what I really love and what you bring to the table, Chris, is the fact you are able to pull all those together and then project that with the platform that you actually have as a speaker and as an educator. So I really see you being able to amplify that voice. So please keep going with that. 
And on that note, one thing we had talked about, and I gave you a copy of this book, Blue Ocean Strategy and Blue Ocean Shift. And we have many examples of newer golf players in the industry that have taken on this Blue Ocean Strategy. And what that is, again, is looking for new opportunities in new markets rather than competing with existing businesses or competition, that race to the bottom where it really comes down to price. You're looking to unlock new markets. And a great example of that, and I know you talked about this, Chris, I'd like to hear your thoughts, is Topgolf. The fact there were no competitors, that they completely reimagined the golf experience and didn't compete for the existing golf customer. Perhaps you can share what your thoughts are with Topgolf, like you said in Vancouver. You know, Topgolf is a great example of what can be done when you think outside the box and more importantly, have the courage to act upon it because there's a lot of ideas out there. You know, ideas don't work unless people do, right? So I certainly applaud their courage and the impact that they're having on the industry. We're fortunate here in Las Vegas that Topgolf has their flagship property here in our backyard and it is four levels of fun and a number of our students work there part-time. A number of our alumni have full-time positions within the organization, and we're just thrilled to be part of this movement, a movement that reduces the amount of time a golfer has to commit to an experience, in some cases reduces the amount that's being spent, and reducing the uncomfortable feeling that some people may have in playing in a traditional golf course. So they did a really good job of removing a lot of barriers that are present in the current offering and the traditional offering of the game, and they're taking advantage of it. Golf is certainly the vehicle for them, but there's so much more that happens at a top golf facility. There is this event management aspect to it. There's this food and beverage management aspect to it. There's this socialization aspect where you can get a really good golfer and you can get someone that's never played the game before. And they could spend a couple hours together at Top Golf in a bay and have fun. That wouldn't happen in a traditional environment if the skill set was that far apart. So what you're seeing is you're seeing a platform that's less rigid and a little bit more fun. And our hope, and I haven't seen any data on this, our hope is that these golfers that are experiencing golf at Top Golf will support the traditional form of golf in the future. And that transition is something that we're going to keep a close eye on into the future because I think there's wonderful potential because they're exposing people to the game that wouldn't normally go to a club and play golf. Very true. With the data that Golf has, over 10 million visits last year at over 40 venues, around 41% of their customers last year, the 10 million, they consider non-golfers. So between someone that's never picked up a club before and plays less than two rounds a year. Now, to your point, they don't have that fine-grained data quite yet through the funnel of knowing yet what percentage of that then takes the next step and actually ends up at a golf course to play a traditional 18 holes of golf. That's yet to be tracked, but that is definitely something, I don't know, maybe makes sense with your program there. Maybe that would be a great project for someone to start tracking that information. So I think that would be really telling as far as the growth of the game using the gateway of Topgolf and other formats. I don't want to sound like a Topgolf infomercial. I'm very good friends with a lot of the people over there at Topgolf. But as you know, Chris, also, it has been successful and it shows because there are competition. There's Drive Shack and there's Flying Tee and there's a couple others that are coming both here and internationally. So they certainly see the success of Topgolf in that model that others are now out there in that competitive landscape also. 
Maybe that's a project for your students to start tracking that data to actually see what real numbers over the last couple of years have actually converted into actual golfers that have never been on a golf course that have gone through Top Golf. Yeah, I think that is something that we are interested in doing and certainly would be of interest of golf course owners and operators, especially those around Top Golf facilities where we can make the connection and work together in, in growing the game. We have some recent indicators that suggest that participation is up, rounds are a little flat, but I think what we have to consider is that rounds of golf may not be the only indicator for golf participation anymore. Given the fact that so many people are playing off course or having experience of the game in the non-traditional form, Golf might be a little bit more healthy than what the numbers are showing. Yes, and I believe it was either the USGA or the PGA released a report last year of golf participation. And for the first time, they did include rounds played or experiences at Top Golf as a golf, wouldn't call it a round, I guess they called it a golf event, I guess you could, the best Correct. way to actually put that. So yes, absolutely. That even the mindset is expanding where even a couple of years ago, and still a lot of the folks that I was speaking to and you were speaking to, PGA professionals, in Vancouver at that seminar, a lot of them still are of that old guard where unless you're playing 18 holes and you can card a score to go against your handicap, they don't consider that golf. Whereas I play pickup basketball one-on-one with my son in half court. We don't justify what that is. That's basketball. Yeah. Are we playing in the NBA? No, but that counts as basketball. And, and golf is starting to have that paradigm shift in the mindset there of what is considered golf, which is extremely healthy for the growth of the game. Sure. It certainly is. And the recent numbers suggest a consumer base now stands at 32 million. And that includes both on-course and off-course participation. And, and that's an increase over the years. So I think we're moving in the right direction. I think the targeted influence on getting exposure to juniors is going to have a great effect and a return on the investment for years to come. And we're already starting to see our students that are graduating from the program getting placed in some really nice coveted positions. And they're doing so because they're coming out of programs like these that have credibility, where they have work experience. And when they started the program, they were a little worried five years ago because they didn't know where golf was going. And they took a little gamble on it and it's paying off for them. We're really proud to see the students excelling in their placement and doing well in the industry. I'd like to expand upon that with your students here at the PGA Golf Management University program at UNLV. Can you share with us a couple of success stories of your students, either the ones that are in the program right now during internships or even recent graduates? Could you share some success stories with us? You know, we just got a, a text from Kendall and, and Reese McCall and Bud Gazaway. Kendall works with our program and, and Reese and Bud are alum. And the text message was a picture of Reese and Bud with Ian Poulter because Reese and Bud are the director of golf and head professional at the Golf Club of Houston. And they're a great example of what can be achieved in a short period of time if you're committed to the industry right. and you're committed to putting in your time and being patient and working for excellence. And Reese and Bud are doing a great job of the industry. We have examples of students that are doing well in instruction. I remember Paxton O'Connor, he was a student that started in our program years ago, and John Horner, the same. John is now the Director of Instruction at Court of All, host of the Fries.com Open, as well as Paxton's now the Director of Instruction at Desert Mountain here in Arizona. They just took advantage of their time at UNLV, and, and they knew they wanted to be teachers as soon as their foot stepped on campus when they are 18 years old. And they just stayed with that focus. So we had them work with Mr. Harmon here in town. And Butch Harmon's been a great supporter of our program. And they worked part-time with him while they were in college. They went to see Jim McLean. They got some great mentorship 
and they move forward. We've had a number of success stories, both on the operation side, on the teaching side, on the merchandising and retail side. We have a number of students that are in that side of the business as being sales representatives and doing exceptional work. We have GMs at country clubs that have followed their path in, in the hospitality industry. So we're really excited about the alum of the program and the students we're able to attract because of the hard work of our alum and pursuing excellence. That creates a nice culture. When students step on campus here, they're expecting something special and they're getting it. And in return, they're turning into very special people as well. Wonderful stuff. To expand on that, you talked about attracting young talent as students to, to enter the program here. I'm very interested to hear the mandate and the efforts that your program is putting in as far as diversity and inclusion. You may know two weeks ago, we had a couple of young women that are with PGA Works, which is through the PGA of America and PGA Reach as far as their fellowship program for recent graduates just like the graduates from your program, could then get their first entry-level job into the industry through the PGA Works Fellowship. Here's to hear, Chris, what type of breakdown or mix do you have by gender and ethnic or cultural background, and what efforts are you making to try to make that more diverse and inclusive? Well, diversity and inclusion is, is a priority for not only the PGA of America, but for a number of organizations and for our country in general. As you know, PGA of America gave us some stark data to consider here. The membership of the PGA is nearly 91% Caucasian, and most of them are male. So in order to diversify not only the industry, but also the people we're trying to attract to get in the industry, there needs to be more diversity within the industry. And given the fact that when we take a look at the United States demographics, we're at 43% of the millennials are multicultural, and Hispanics have a combined spending power of $3.5 trillion and growing. And the under 18 age group is projected to be the last with a Caucasian majority. So the United States is, is making the shift and the industry needs to make the shift as well. Now, at UNLV, we're really fortunate. This last year by U.S. News, our campus was ranked the most diverse. So when UNLV says we're different, daring and diverse, it is really a reflection of the student body we attract here at UNLV. We think that has a comforting effect for those that have a diverse background to come to a campus that's diverse. We're seeing that that's helping with our enrollment in our PGA Golf Management Program. We have about 20% that are minority, and we have about 10% that are female. And that fluctuates. Sometimes it's higher, sometimes it's lower. We need to do a better job there. And I think the hiccup is right now is that there are not a lot of individuals that are 18, 20 years old right now that have grew up playing golf that are from diverse backgrounds. I think that's gonna change. I think as golf becomes more accessible and it opens up more to the experience factor, somewhat like what Top Golf is doing, I think you're gonna see people from diverse backgrounds being exposed to the game at a higher rate, and that might translate into more people being interested and qualified for a PGA golf management program. And when I say qualified, I mean meeting the playing ability requirement of the 10 or an 8 handicap or lower by the time they're 18. For us specifically, we've been part of that works program. In fact, Kendall Murphy, who's our program coordinator, served on the committee with Sandy Cross at PGA of America to help advance diversity and inclusion, and he's been a key part of that. And Kendall brings a really nice perspective to diversity that the university certainly embraces. So we're actively engaged in that aspect. We make visits to PGA sections. 
our assistant director, Kyle Helms, does a great work in uh, reaching out to internship sites where when he's meeting with these professionals around the country, he's also asking the questions about how can we get juniors in your area engaged in our program? And some of them are from a diverse background, some of them aren't. But the effort there really depends on the environment in which the university is established. And we're fortunate in being a very diverse environment and we welcome diversity. And we feel like the students that have diverse backgrounds are comfortable here in this environment. Right. Well, it sounds like both your program and also UNLV as a whole understands their purpose and I guess you can say their why, which brings me to part of your talk in Vancouver where you introduced the attendees to Simon Sinek and his TEDx talk, The Power of Why, and you showed a bit of a clip. Rather than me explain it, can you tell me how that connects and influences the work that you do and the impact and the potential of the golf industry? Yeah, that's a really good question. I've been a fan of Simon Sinek for many years and myself, along with a couple of professors, developed a leadership management and ethics course for all the hospitality management majors here at UNLV. And we had a lot of fun putting the pieces together. And Simon Sinek does a really good job of explaining what leadership is all about and how you can get people to buy into what you're leading. For many of you that have seen his work or read his books, you, you know you understand that he's focusing on the why, not, not necessarily the how or the what, but the why you're doing what you're doing. And I think the golf industry has an opportunity to focus more on the why. And some leaders do that very well, and they have very successful social integration. They have successful loyalty, and the golf course or the facility or whatever it may be is the place where people gather. And the reason is, is because they understand why the club is there and why it exists. And it may be beyond the quality of the course, and it may be beyond the type of merchandise they have in the shop, and it may be beyond the type of facilities they have. It's the bigger picture of why this place is there for their clients. And a lot of the why for golf is to keep that smile on the person's face. We have such a great opportunity to be working in industry in the leisure world where people come to the course with a smile on their face and hopefully they leave with a smile on their face. And we're part of that experience. We're not on an operating table and figuring out life or death. We're not in a courtroom. We're in an environment where people want to have fun and where people want to be around other people and enjoy the healthy aspects the game brings and the healthy socialization the game can bring. And guess what? By the way, they're probably going to buy a membership because of that. And by the way, they might buy a driver because they're having so much fun with their friend out on the course, they want to hit it a little bit further than him or her. And I think that's the attitude that we need to focus on moving forward. It's less of the technical stuff it's less of the hard stuff and it's more of the soft stuff. And I think, again, that's where the hospitality management focus really applies in our industry. And you pointed this out after you had the video clip with Simon Sinek. I looked around the room and I just saw the eyes lighting up on a lot of people because the majority of the 165 attendees had not seen that video or didn't know who Simon Sinek is. And one of the things he says that you quoted also, it's not what we do, but why we do it. I couldn't remember what you necessarily said, all the details, couldn't remember everything I saw, but I walked away remembering how you made me feel. And that's the way the human brain works and how we respond. 
That made me feel good, even though you can't remember those other details. And golf course owners and the industry as a whole need to embrace that and need to realize that that is embedded within the culture, which is fueled by your why and your purpose. And it has to come from the top. And I think a lot of golf course operators and professionals in the industry are now starting to realize that. And you're certainly letting people know that also. One of Senek's other comments when he talked about Dr. Martin Luther King getting to the National Mall, I forget how many people were there, but hundreds and hundreds of thousands before there was the internet, before there was social media. And how did he do that? And as Senek said, he didn't say, I have a seven-step plan. He said, I have a dream. So that really pulled people in because that gave them something to surround themselves with. And a great example in the golf industry, that is Elisa Gaudet with Women's Golf Day. I've had her on the podcast before. And the example I gave there, as far as your passion and your purpose, is this is the third year for Women's Golf Day on June 5th this year. They're in over 40 countries. They have over 700 locations that are hosting events. They had over 30,000 women participate last year, globally, over 24 hours. And they have one employee, that's their social media manager, one employee. So the rest is volunteerism. The point being is Alyssa really understands her why and her purpose. And she's managed to rally people around this as a movement to motivate them very much in a, you know, in a similar way that Dr. King has done to actually create something bigger than oneself to move this forward. And the golf industry really needs to embrace that mentality for them to succeed in the future. So with that, Chris, I'd like to hear your thoughts on a, on a slightly different topic. And you touched on this when we spoke earlier. Golf needs to look outside of the golf box, even though it's a very big box with the industry, to look at trends and patterns that are emerging or have emerged in other sectors such as sport, hospitality, entertainment, education, and business that golf needs to adopt or take pieces from as validators. Uh, and I know there's some examples we talked about already, but can you elaborate on that a little more? As golf needs to maintain and embrace the traditions of the game, but at the same time needs to actually look outside that golf box. You have some thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think we see a little bit of that going on with things like foot golf or disc golf or areas in which the golf course is being utilized for other activities. And I think that's okay in, in some platforms. One of the things you have to consider is that you have a very loyal core group of golfers. And we want to make sure that any of the innovative ideas aren't a disruptor to that core but at the same time, we also need to preserve the long-term sustainability of the game. So looking at these different platforms within the golf course, I think, are very healthy. When we take a look at uh, millennial attitudes, specifically about club memberships, and millennials being that 18 to 38-year-old age group or so that represent a significant chunk of the golfing population, 41% say personal recommendations are the most important when considering club membership. So it may be less of that advertising. It may be more of that social relationship that needs to be developed at the club to attract the millennials. They're twice as likely to be seeking child-centered club activities. So it's not just about the golfer anymore. It's about what activities the club could host to engage the entire family unit. And, you know, I can remember being a kid, and it wasn't that long ago, I don't think. I still feel like a kid at times, but my dad would go tee it up. You know, I wouldn't see him Saturday or Sunday. That's what he did. I stayed home with mom and we had a good time. And it came to a point where it was like, hey, you know, we want to be engaged here. And all three of us played golf on Sundays. And my dad and I played golf on Saturdays and we beat my mom for lunch or whatever it was. And that type of mentality of golf is just for that single person or one part of the family unit really needs to go away for it to be successful. And, and there's going to be a handful of clubs where that's going to work. There's no question about it. 
when we take a look at costs, millennials are interested in spreading out initiation fees to have a little bit more flexibility there. They see club membership as beneficial to their career and they see it as a socialization aspect. So I'm not sure if I answered your question completely in regards to sports and hospitality, but I will say that we are seeing a bit of a shift away from the traditional form, which I think is healthy. And then the market's really going to dictate what sticks and what doesn't. But the fact that we have people that have courage to change it up is what the industry needs. Absolutely. Many examples out there, and one you may know of is with the European tour and the CEO, Keith Pelly. He's experimenting and treating certain things like a lean startup in the sense with golf sixes. So a more compressed format that he's taken the positive validators from sports like rugby with the rugby sevens and cricket, from what I know about that, has actually done the same thing. And beach volleyball is compared to indoor six-player team volleyball and compressing that down. And they're figuring that out as they go, and they may not have that quite right, but they're trying different things and trying different examples for alternative formats of golf. And on that note of alternative formats of golf, Chris, I did stumble upon in your bio here that you're a speed golfer or have been in the past, and you hold or once held a couple of speed golf records. Can you thump your chest here and tell us about (laughs) your speed golf heroics in the past? Oh, geez. That was a long time ago. My goodness. (laughs) I don't even know if I could if I could talk about it, let alone, uh, well, okay. So let's see, I think it was 2002 at Penn State University. I played 505 holes in 12 hours and had a great time putting on that event. And we benefited a great charity and we raised some money and we had a record there. The person that hired me, Doug Wirt, held the previous record. His nickname was the Marathon Man. And he played 440 holes in 12 hours. And I said, I'm going to beat you, buddy. So I set up a five-hole loop, and we played those five holes 101 times. It equated to about a 3,000-yard nine-hole or 6,000-yard 18-hole course. We had some really fast golf carts, and we had a great driver and a lot of volunteers, and that was a lot of fun. And years later, my buddy and I said, let's do this again. So we're out here in Las Vegas, and together we played 1,068 holes. He played 501, I played 568. It was a great event. It raised a lot of money for cancer research. You know, it was something that we got the community involved in. You know, we trained very long and hard for, and we just went out there and played as much golf as we could, covered over 100 miles and 2,500 swings, and we were dead tired afterwards. It was a lot of fun, but I, I could not do that now. Thanks for sharing that. Well, I think not only could you not, but I don't think you'd actually be allowed because I understand, Chris, you have a newborn and a toddler in the house. So I don't think your wife would let you out of the house to play 568 consecutive holes right now anyway. So you actually need to find more compressed versions of golf, which actually leads me to the next point I want to bounce off you here because this happened in your own backyard. And that was the major series of putting and the stadium that they built. I'd like to hear your thoughts on what they're creating there as far as yet another alternative and gateway to grow the game and leveling the playing field so that women and men can compete against each other head-to-head in a more compressed format. So what are your thoughts on MSOP, the major series of putting? Sure. We were host to the major series of putting here in Las Vegas, and uh, we had a number of our students participate one in particular that did really well and made it to the finals. So we're very excited about that. Randy from Southwest Greens did a great job of putting on that show in regards of building the greens. And, and we actually use Southwest Greens here at our center. That outdoor putting green is to serve the entire campus community just to get them engaged. And putting is a pretty simple form of the golf stroke, although it's made maybe too complicated. 
It's an action that uh, ball's not moving. It, it's not on a tee, and, and you don't have to hit it very far. So it's an accessible part of the game in which you can really enjoy. As far as the major series of putting is concerned, I think it just broadens the pool of candidates that, that want to come out there and play like they're playing on tour. There's prize money involved. It's really skill-based gaming in, in some regards which is a shift that the gaming industry is moving into. It's a good fit here in Las Vegas. It was very popular for the stint that they had here. I hope that it comes back, and I hope that Las Vegas will maintain an event like that because I think it's good for the game. I think it's a good entry point and an exciting part of the game. Well, it's interesting with your overlay of hospitality and gaming that you touched on there and, of course, with golf experiences. MSOP certainly ticks all of those boxes. And we actually spent some time at the stadium back in late October and did a couple podcasts from there. So we had a chance firsthand to actually see not only what the competitors were dealing with for the 18 holes, but there were also on the periphery, as you probably saw there, Chris, there were areas for the public to be engaged for that skills-based gaming where rather than sitting down at a roulette table or playing slots, being more active and engaged, which is what millennials and a younger audience wants. They don't want that passive experience. They want something that's more social and more engaging. So they were using that stadium as a laboratory, as a test kitchen. And so I think there's a lot of potential there. And from my understanding, you probably know better than I do, Chris, sounds like the gaming industry is certainly taking notice of not only that, but other opportunities that are sports-based and more activity-based in order to connect with a younger audience. Yeah, I, mean, I agree. And technology is going to have a big play in that platform as well. I and mean, I just taught class last night and our students had the opportunity to present ways in which the industry could be more innovative. We had a group present about the use of technology in the game and, and how virtual reality is where they feel the game can really expose a lot of people to the benefits of. And they made a lot of good points about how technology, how virtual reality could really serve as a tremendous access point to many people around the world. We have 23% of our students in the college are international students. And so we have great exposure of the international culture. But there's many people that are not in the United States that are never going to have the opportunity to experience courses here in the United States or to meet Tiger Woods or to meet Ricky Fowler or whoever it may be. But they can put on a headset and they can play golf courses all around the world and they could get a lesson right now from Ricky Fowler in a virtual world and feel like they're right there. When you talk about what golf can do to increase exposure and access and interest, as the world is shrinking through technology and through transportation, this is going to be an opportunity to really embrace moving forward. Well, you make a great point there. We are going to have on an upcoming podcast episode, PGA Tour Labs who are experimenting with VR, mixed reality, augmented reality, and doing some very interesting things there. And they're just starting to scratch the surface. It's very interesting. So I agree completely for that more immersive, connected experience. And VR especially, I know it's been the tech darling for the last couple of years, without really figuring out what the actual use is, a lot of experimentation going on. And that is fine. That is what you need. But now it's starting to filter down into some real applications, whether that's in the medical industry or even in the sport experience industry here with golf. As you probably know, Chris, also there are technology-based companies in the golf experience and entertainment realm, such as Nextlinks. And there was another one actually called Golfstream in the MGM Grand had a prototype set up there. So they're experimenting with augmented reality already as more of an entertainment-based option there for golf to enhance that. So yeah, very exciting stuff, just scratching the surface. 
but I believe it's going to be this confluence of all of these aspects that you've touched on here today. And I thank you for sharing your thoughts on all of those. So before I let you go here, Chris, I do want to stay in Las Vegas. And I want you to tell us a bit more about the upcoming opening of the new center for the PGA Golf Management Program at UNLV. Well, thanks, Colin. Yeah, it's a great opportunity for us. And while not official yet, the center is going to be named after our great men's golf coach, Dwayne Knight. We're very excited about honoring his legacy. And, and really, it's going to be a space in which we're going to celebrate all that's great in the game of golf that UNLV has had a part of. There are a number of aspects of that. We have, of course, the PGA Golf Management Program that's been around for 16 years and has produced a wonderful alumni and 100% job placement rate from our graduates. And we have two wonderful golf teams that their students would be in this center on the swing lab and the biomechanics lab and tweaking their equipment so they can be the best players they can be. And in the meantime, our students have the same type of aspirations, but may also be interested in the golf management aspect of it in regards to the club fitting and the tweaking of equipment that may be necessary for them in their future. But the center is going to have some great space to it. We have a, a club repair design space. We have a biomechanics lab. We have a teaching presentation room and classroom. We have a student room in which students can use to just bounce ideas off of and share some thoughts on upcoming exams or perhaps some struggles that they may be having or some great things that are going on, but a place for students to hang out and have fun. We have all of our offices within this space. So when a student comes for class, either before or after class, our offices are right next to the classroom. So as far as student engagement is concerned and that relationship between the faculty member and the student and the student-to-student -student peer relationship, we're really trying to enrich that here at UNLV. There's also a retail lab. In fact, we're going to have UNLV's golf store in this center. So our students will be running a full retail operation as part of their curriculum from open to buy to inventory management to pricing strategies, marketing strategies. And if anybody at UNLV, a student, a faculty member or guest wants a golf shirt or a golf bag or a golf glove or golf balls or be fit to equipment, we can do that all here in the center and do it with the highest level of service expectations. And next to that golf store is a simulation room. We have a simulator in there right now, and we're hopefully going to have this wonderful partnership with a rather large company that is going to create this wonderful environment for students all around campus to come in and experience what golf's all about in a uh, virtual world. That's going to be very exciting for us. And then wrapped around this center, the outside of the center is a putting green that is right in the center of campus, that is right in the main thoroughfare of student traffic. So we envision students uh, between classes. They come to the center, they want a quick golf lesson or a quick putting stroke lesson or whatever it may be, and our students are on hand to be able to provide that experience and get them excited about the game of golf and get the campus excited about the game of golf and what it can do for one's career if they know how to play it. Another exciting element of the center is the online reservation system that we're going to be putting in the golf store. And this is a UNLV's way to help create business for our community because they've been so good to us. We intend to have inventory of golf courses around town in which a student or faculty member could come into the store and book a reservation to play at any golf course in town during a time in which the golf course wouldn't normally sell that time. And now we're helping with their revenue management and we're helping with the connection and the bridge between a university and the business world. We are just super excited to launch this center and the impact it's going to have on the community, the high school clinics that we could have here on campus to expose people that are interested in UNLV or in golf management in general 
and just have a lot of fun with the space. We're very excited for our students. I bet you are. What I love of what you just shared with me there, Chris, is you've made it very evident that the culture, you're talking about the purpose and the why, a lot of places talk about that they're entrepreneurial and they're innovative, but you are walking the walk here. You're getting the kids out of the classroom. It's not just theory. And you are getting them to actually be more entrepreneurial and to think that way and to learn those skills on the fly as they go in in real world situations. And also with the center, part of it is that physical manifestation of drawing people in, non-golfers also, to experience the game for the first time and you're helping enable that. And I think that's fantastic. That's such an awesome opportunity for what you created there. No, we appreciate that. Yeah, it's been a great ride and a great team effort and we've had a lot of support. We're excited to deliver. Very nice. Now, I will include in the show notes, I will put some pictures up there, some renderings of the center of what that will look like so our listeners can understand even more. You know, go with the backdrop of your words there. And I will also include in the show notes links to the Simon Sinek video, The Power of Why, so our listeners can go watch that. Wonderful. And with that, to finish up, Chris, it does sound like, as you mentioned, that Simon Sinek is someone that you look at as an influencer for inspiration. I'd like to hear your thoughts also. You mentioned your father and you mentioned Bruce Harmon, obviously Mr. Knight. You've had all these other people that have helped be that village that put you in that place that you are today. Just like to hear, where else do you draw inspiration from, whether it's books or mentors, entrepreneurs, visionaries, heroes, or in podcasts perhaps, and and other speakers that our audience can then go watch or listen to also? That's a really good question. Uh, I have this tremendous opportunity to be engaged in so many things here at UNLV whether it be books we read on leadership, hospitality management, whether it be the individuals we're able to engage with here because we're part of UNLV. But I would just take a step back, and I think a lot of the teachers of the game may appreciate this more than some that are not around students a lot, but my inspiration comes from the students, and my inspiration comes from the staff that makes this program run. And we're challenged every day to pursue excellence. Every day, we have to give it a little bit more. We call it the 10% stretch in leadership. If we're not doing a little bit more each day, somebody else is. We have this great opportunity to be regarded as a model program, a top-ranked hospitality program. There's a lot of pressure that comes along with that, and we need to stay committed in getting better and learning as much as we can from the people that are around us. So, I mean, in short, I've had a great upbringing with two great parents And I've been able to be around some great mentors in my life throughout my career and staying in touch with them. But when it comes down to it, for the last 14 years here at UNLV, it's been the students that have inspired me to get better and inspired the program to get better. We want their return on the investment that they put into UNLV to only get greater as their alumni. And we're just trying the best we can to do that. I really like that you acknowledge the students as being so influential in your life and informing you. And I get that same feeling also with the work that I do. I also get involved here locally within the startup space and entrepreneurial space of mentoring with students, young entrepreneurs. And my motivation for doing that is I agree, Chris, that I actually learned something from all of them, that pure unfiltered energy and enthusiasm and insight that they actually have, that they bring. It enlightens me, it excites me, and it gives me a different worldview on how to look at things. And very much with with my podcast guests also. You're now my 35th guest, and I consider you this 
notice now too that I look at all 35 of my guests as being mentors that I've learned from each and every one of you. And I am very grateful to have the opportunity to share your stories and learn from all of you. So thank you for also helping me learn and make what I do just a little bit better. I appreciate that. It was, it was really a joy to be on your show and I look forward to staying in tune. Well, thank you very much, Chris, for being here today. So with that, Dr. Chris Kane, Director of the PGA Golf Management University Program at UNLV. Chris, can you, before you go, can you let our listeners know, hopefully there's some budding golf industry high school students out there or their parents that may be very interested to learn more about the program at UNLV. So how can people get in touch with you and learn more about your program? Uh, it's pretty easy. You can give a call at 702-895-2932, or you can reach me at email at christopher.kane, C-A-I-N, at unlv.edu. If I'm not available at the time, any one of our staff members can provide the information you need to get started with the application process, but would love to speak to anyone interested in the program. Good stuff. In your bio as a guest and also in the show notes, I will include everything that you just mentioned there so people won't have to go scrambling for a pen or a pencil to write all that down. Uh, So that'll all be there for everybody. So with that, hey, Chris, thanks so much for being on the Mod Golf Podcast today. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I've learned a ton and really appreciate the great work that you're doing and please continue doing it. Well, it's certainly a team effort. Appreciate being on your show and thank you very much. Good luck to you. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Mod Golf Podcast with Dr. Christopher Kane, Director of the PGA Golf Management Program at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. I was inspired by Chris's passion for his work, his unrelenting desire to innovate, and unwavering commitment to providing his students with an incredible education experience. Chris embraces Simon Sinek's belief that people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it, which helps create a culture at UNLV that ranked them as the most diverse campus in the country. On the Mod Golf Podcast, we've explored how music, entertainment, technology, and community building help shape the future of golf. On next week's episode, we finally cover one of the other elements that enhance the golf experience, and that is food. I'll be speaking with Dennis Rydell, who is the co-founder of Chef's Cut Real Jerky, where we hear the entrepreneurial story of how two friends working as caddies while taking a break from their professional lives found the inspiration and courage to create a deliciously healthy snack alternative to power you through the back nine and beyond. If you enjoyed this episode of the Mod Golf Podcast, you can find more compelling stories about the future of golf on our episodes page. You can also find all of our previous Mod Golf Podcast episodes on iTunes and Spotify. I'm your host, Colin Weston. Thanks so much for joining me, and I look forward to you listening again soon. Bye for now.